Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are so excited that you are here with us this morning. You know, as a youth pastor, I would take several trips um, through my career of youth ministry to Algonquin Park to do these wilderness trips. And we would do these canoe hiking trips in Algonquin Park in Canada. And because I've been doing so many of these trips, I decided, you know what, I, I'm going to grab, I'm going to buy my own hiking backpack because there's nothing better than having your own gear that fits really, really well. And so I bought my own backpack, super nice. And the first time I take this bag on this trip, I get up there, we're loading up for this first hike to carry our canoe through this trail called a portage, and I'm loading up, I'm buckling everything up, and as I'm tightening down these straps, in the midst of all of that, part of this buckle breaks off. The bottom part of this buckle, pretty small detail, kind of insignificant, it, it breaks right off, but it's okay because the top part still works, and so I'm able to click it in there, and I use it the rest of the week, and I am good to go. No big deal, and obviously, um, I'm able to work through this, and I get home, and I realize, hey, there's an extra buckle in my backpack, you know? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to swap this out. But in the meantime, I am unpacking my gear. I'm going right back into youth ministry, right back into all of the busyness of life. And then another trip rolls around, and I'm there loading up students, and I'm teaching them how to carry canoes. I'm teaching them how to load up their backpacks, and I realize I still have that broken buckle. And so I am tightening down my straps. I'm ready to load up my canoe on top of my shoulders. And I go to buckle this guy. And I don't know if the buckle wore out or if that year I gained a little extra weight. But the buckle breaks. The other part of the buckle, the only piece that was holding this thing together, pretty small detail, has now broken. And now I cannot strap on this waistband. I cannot make sure this waistband is tight. And so now I'm not able to carry the bag with my hips and my legs. I'm going to carry it with my shoulders and my back. I have a 60-pound backpack that I am carrying with my shoulders, with my back, not to mention it is a canoe trip. So we do have to carry a 45-pound canoe also on our shoulders, and it is a literal pain in the neck. Has that ever happened to you? You ever had something that you thought, hey, this is, this is pretty small. It's, it's a pretty small detail. It's rather harmless, not a big deal. I'll just let it go. I won't deal with it. And then it turns into a rather large problem. Maybe you tweak the muscle in your back and you're like, ah, it's not really a big deal. I'll just, I'll just push through this. I'll keep working out. I'll keep working. I'll just keep going on as normal. And then that little tiny tiny insignificant pain in your back grows into a large problem. Or maybe you're a student, or maybe when you were a student, it was summertime, or you were on break, and you know what, you started staying up till 1, 2, 3 a.m., not a big deal. You're hanging out with your friends, you're watching movies, you're staying up eating junk food, and you're sleeping till noon, and then all of a sudden, school rolls back around. And <laughs> kind of a Small issue at first, but now it's a big deal because now you have to get up by 6 a.m. And it's like, oh, no. These little tiny things can turn into massive issues. And one of those small, insignificant things that can turn into something rather big is jealousy. 
Jealousy can be absolutely deadly. In fact, jealousy is dangerous. It can hijack your thoughts. It can ruin your relationships. It can destroy a marriage. It can hurt your kids. And it can grow into something, as we'll find today, it can grow into attempted murder. So how do we know if jealousy and envy is in our hearts? What does it look like? But more importantly, what do we do about it? Well, grab your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We are in the middle of a series called A Tale of Three Kings. And last week we talked about King Saul, the very first king of Israel, had a, an incredible amount of potential. But as we saw last week, Saul began to take on a little bit of water here, a little bit of water there, a little bit of water here, and that led to collapse and failure. He, he was a, a guy who everybody seemed to like, everybody looked up to, but he had some issues, right? One of those things is he partially obeyed God, he didn't take full responsibility, and he feared man over God, and that led to a collapse. So let's take a look at what's going on in Saul's life. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we'll start reading in verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. That's not good. And an evil spirit of the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. And he will play when the evil spirit from God comes to you. And you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. And he is brave. He's a brave man. He's a warrior. He speaks well and is fine looking. And the Lord is with him. It's pretty incredible. The Lord is no longer with Saul, he's no longer working with Saul, and now he's working with this young man that we're going to find out is David. See, Saul has a problem, and it says that there's a, a spirit, an evil spirit that is tormenting him. And there's a lot of people who are debating, and, and they have different opinions as to what all of that is. Here's what one commentator said. One commentator suggested this was a spirit of evilness or disaster. Something is clear that God is no longer working with Saul. His mercy has been drawn back from him. And God, in his sovereignty, is allowing a spirit of disaster or spirit of evilness to now wreak havoc in Saul's life. He's now feeling the full weight of sin and consequences. And there's a young man, they think, hey, he can play this instrument. It looks like a harp. It's called a lyre, not someone who fails to tell the truth. But this is a harp, right? Basically a, a smaller version of a harp. And it has the ability, they think, to bring divine power. They think it might have therapeutic power, whatever it is. God has orchestrated it so that Saul's friends just happened to know of a young boy named David who just happens to know how to play this instrument and God is just happening to use this young man to help Saul feel better. 
But here's what we see here. God is shifting away from Saul, and he's starting to work in the life of this young boy that we find to be David. Look at verse 19. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who was with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. Whenever the spirit of God came upon Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. God, in his infinite wisdom, is allowing David to come alongside and help bring some comfort and some soothing noise with this. And fast forward a little bit, and David meets this giant named Goliath, right? The Philistines have been antagonizing. The Philistines have been attacking Israel, and they're at this standoff, right? The Philistines are on one side of the valley. Israel is on the other side of the valley, and they are saying, hey, send out your best champion. I mean, this is going to be the ultimate fighting championship. And so the Philistines send out this guy named Goliath, who's over nine feet tall, and he is mocking God. He is taunting Israel, and he is talking some serious trash. David is not on the battlefield. He's at home. His dad says, hey, send your brothers some food. Send them with some lunch and some supplies. David shows up. Here's Goliath challenging Israel. Here's Goliath making fun of God, insulting God. And David looks around and sees all of these warriors cowering in fear. David says, let me at him. I'll take care of him. Grabs five smooth stones, grabs his sling, loads up the sling, starts working that sling, gets it ready, aim, fire, throws that stone, boom, hits, hits Goliath right in the forehead. He falls over, a giant dust cloud stirs up, and the Philistines are in pandemonium. They just run away. They are terrified of what's going to happen next. David grabs Goliath's sword cuts off his giant bucket head and then holds up his head and he is declared the champion. Look at what happens next. Pick it up in verse 55. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistines, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, and David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Now, Saul is not confused about who David is. He knows who David is. He's not asking, who is that young man? He's saying, who's his parents? I mean, who does that kid belong to? 
because this kid has been doing something incredible. Like every time I feel tormented, every time I just feel really terrible, he plays his little magical instrument and I feel better. He goes out there fearless, full of courage and takes on Goliath. I want that young man to spend more time around me. I want to keep him. Can we keep him? Where does he belong? Who's his dad? What's his upbringing? What's his social status? I want to know, can we keep David permanently? And so Saul begins to like him even more. And God is orchestrating all of this behind the scenes. God puts David on the mind of Saul's friends and advisors, and God allows Saul to begin to like him and to grow in interest and see David as a a resource, an asset, and everybody loves David. The problem is everybody loves David a little too much. So look at what happens next. Pick up in chapter 18. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Jonathan is, by the way, Saul's son. Jonathan and David are becoming really good friends here. Verse 2, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul and singing and dancing and joyful songs with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. So David is slowly becoming the national hero. God is allowing David success. God is allowing David to be this guy who can plan and think and strategize. And everybody is seeing David as the guy. Now they're they're singing in the streets. The the girls, the ladies are, are jamming out with their instruments and they're going, Saul is awesome and David is awesomer. David is awesomer and Saul is less awesome. That's the song in the streets. And they are going nuts over this. And as that is happening, a little tiny kernel of jealousy starts to grow inside Saul's heart. It seems like nothing. It seems like that little broken piece of that buckle. It's not really significant. It's kind of harmless. Not a big deal. I can keep pushing through this. But what seems small, what seems insignificant is going to grow into something much worse. Look at verse 8. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? 
And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit of God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre. He's holding this instrument with his hand, right? It doesn't say his hand, but we can kind of conclude he's playing it with his hand. Notice that, as he usually did. And Saul had what in his hand? A spear. I mean, the author is contrasting these two men. One is a man of character playing an instrument. One is a man who is driven by jealousy and anger, and he has a spear in his hand. What's he going to do with that spear? Verse 11, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. But he had departed from Saul, so he sent David away from him and gave him a command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Saul is angry. Saul is jealous. And what started off as something small, insignificant, is growing into something that's much bigger. That's tormenting Saul. It's starting to spiral him even further down. Look at verse 8. It says he was angry. I mean, that's the idea of he's got this burning sensation in his throat. He's got a burning anger towards David. And here's the young man that God has used to soothe his discomfort. Here's the young man that God has used to kill a giant. Here's the young man that God has used to bring so many victories to Israel. And Saul is starting to become angry with him. And he's jealous. Look, they only credit me with thousands of victories, but they give David tens of thousands. Look at verse 9. From that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now he is enviously looking at David. He's looking at David with suspicion, that evil eye. Like, what are you really up to, David? Maybe questioning every single thing in his mind. What started off as something small, insignificant, has grown to jealousy. One of the dangers of jealousy is that jealousy blinds us to what we already have. That when we allow jealousy, maybe even something small, to start to fester in our hearts, to take over and hijack our thoughts, it begins to blind us to what we already have. I mean, just think about it. How many times has God blessed you and poured out his, his grace and his mercy on you and I? We have so many gifts, more than what we deserve, and yet there's all sorts of little tiny kernels of envy, and jealousy. I like to kind of sprout out out of nowhere. Jealousy is rooted in a desire for what I don't have. Jealousy is it's self-focused. 
It's focused on Tim. It makes me the center of my own world, my own universe. Jealousy says, I deserve that. I deserve better. I should have this. And jealousy makes everything about me. I should get more praise. That's what Saul is doing. Saul is saying, look at David. He's doing an incredible job, but is he really better than me? Does he really deserve all of that credit and all of that praise? This happens to us all the time. You're at work, and you notice a coworker is, is doing a good job, right? You won't deny that. But now the boss is spent paying special attention to them, praising them, talking about them, bragging about them, and inside your heart, inside your mind, you begin to wonder, huh, are they really better? And, and, and you start secretly competing with them, showing up earlier, putting in more effort, staying later. And you compare your efforts to their efforts saying, hey, boss, what about me? Hey, hey, teacher, what about me? Hey, coach, what about me? And jealousy starts small and starts to grow. Here's what Paul Tripp says. If, if doubt questions the goodness of God and worry questions the presence of God, then jealousy questions the wisdom of God. You'll think, could God actually have meant this for me? We believe that we are a better king than the king of the entire universe. Jealousy creeps in, starts small, begins taking over. I, I noticed this um, a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, my daughter Juliet went home with Kelly and Kevin. She is doing some sewing lessons, and Kelly dropped her off at youth group. And after youth group, I'm talking to Juliet. How, how'd your day go? How was the lessons? And she says, oh, we went out to eat for lunch. And oh, where'd you go? We went to Chili's. Oh, that's cool. Next week, they do the same thing, and I'm bringing Juliet home from youth group. I say, hey, where'd you guys go out to eat? We went to Five Guys. Oh, I love Five Guys. And for a moment, there was this much jealousy, like, oh, right? Something small that I could just, oh, I, I wanted Five Guys. I could push that out real quick. But I can be thankful that my daughter had a great time. I can be thankful that she had a positive experience, that she got something awesome. Saul couldn't see that. And so many times when, when somebody else is blessed, when, when something else seems to be going right, we look at where they are or their stage of life, what they're doing. We look at their health or their perceived health, and we, we see, well, I kind of want that. We look at the opportunities that they have, Maybe the job, maybe the vacation, maybe the raise, maybe the, the friendships that they have, maybe the family they have, or the perceived family or the perceived opportunities that they have, and we begin to go, ah, oh, but, but I kind of want that. And we're questioning the wisdom of God. So jealousy starts off small, it begins to grow, and I really believe that jealousy lacks contentment. If you and I want the antidote to jealousy, it starts with thankfulness. Look at verse 11. And he hurled 
he hurled that spear. He said, I'm going to pin David. Saul was afraid because the Lord was with David. He wanted to kill him. And so that fear is growing. That fear is growing into to dread. Look at verse 15. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid. That word in 15 is a different word in 12. So that fear is now growing into dread. I'm afraid. Now I hate David. And something small like jealousy is growing a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And it's hijacking his thoughts. It's taking over his affections. The reason David was experiencing success is because God was with him. God was doing all of this, and Saul couldn't see any of that. The second danger is this. Jealousy turns allies into enemies. David wasn't an enemy, but Saul begins to see him as his enemy, as his opponent. Hey, now, now I'm secretly competing with all of these people, my friends. I'm competing with them, hoping that my life will be better than theirs. Hoping that I can outdo my coworker. Hoping I can outdo my classmate, my teammate, my neighbor. And now we're secretly competing with somebody that doesn't even know there's a competition. Maybe they're just living their life. Maybe God is actually just blessing them. But jealousy doesn't want to celebrate those blessings. Jealousy can't celebrate the fact that maybe God has done something great. Why can't I celebrate the fact that something is going well for somebody else? Because I want that for myself. I think I'm a better king than the king. I think I deserve this. I want this. So jealousy is is growing, and jealousy unchecked will cultivate anger. Jealousy undealt with will cultivate dread and fear, but it also can grow into something like attempted murder. It's radically taking over his life. Look at verse 27. Then Saul gave his daughter Michal in marriage. Then Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michal, loved David. Saul became still more afraid. That jealousy grew from jealousy to fear and anger to dread to now more fear. It's growing. It's developing. And he remained his enemy for the rest of of his days. So fear can grow into dread, and that dread can grow into even more fear if we leave it unchecked and undealt with. Jealousy has the potential to hijack our thoughts, ruin our relationships, destroy our families. So what do we do about it? How do we how do we fight jealousy. We'll look at Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything out of pride and selfishness. Don't do anything out of jealousy. Okay, but what do I do, Tim? Thanks. Thanks for the good advice. Rather, instead, 
in humility, value others above yourself. That's a tall order. Tim, you're telling me I need to think of other people more valuable than me? Yep. If you're struggling with jealousy, even if there's a tiny kernel of jealousy in your life, if you want to overcome that, it starts by putting off jealousy, putting off pride, and putting on humility, and then begin considering other people more significant than you. Begin to cultivate thankfulness. Begin to cultivate gratitude and say, you know what? I'm not thankful that everything is going right for you, but I'm going to start considering you. I'm going to start acting like, I'm going to start valuing you above myself. Look at verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, right? My own interests are, hey, give me mine. Give me my credit. Give me my praise. I deserve this. Don't look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of who? To others. Celebrate what God is doing in the life of others. Begin to be thankful for them. Begin to recognize their strengths and their abilities and how you should be thankful for them. And start practicing thankfulness and gratitude. Thankfulness is the antidote to jealousy. It is. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Here's, here's the homework. Here's the application. One, you can write a thank you note. We have a bunch of thank you notes on the Welcome Center desk. And we want you, if you're struggling with jealousy, if you're struggling with contentment, grab one of those thankful notes. There's envelopes to write out a thank you note this week to somebody. It could be anybody. But if you really want to challenge yourself and you're really struggling with jealousy, write it to somebody that you're jealous of. Write down who you're jealous of. Write down why. You don't have to show it to me. You don't have to tell anybody else. And write out a prayer of thanksgiving. You know what? If I was jealous of Lane's hair, I could make a list of all the qualities in Lane, why I'm jealous. But I could also make a list of qualities for why I'm thankful and then commit to thanking God every time Lane comes to mind. Right? So if I was really struggling with jealousy, do this on your own. What are all the great qualities of that person? And every time that person comes to my thoughts, I should be thankful for them. Because jealousy unchecked blinds us to what we already have and makes allies into enemies. And so if we want to overcome jealousy, we do it with thankfulness. Let me pray. God in heaven, you are incredible. You, you give us these accounts so that we can learn, so that we can grow, so we can become more like your son, Jesus. And we're thankful that you and all of your infinite wisdom are at work in our lives. God, I recognize some. Um, we don't like to admit when we're wrong or jealous or envious. It seems sort of petty. 
But I know that there's some of us here in this room that if we were really honest, we would say, yeah, that's, that's been true of me. That's been in my life. God, would you help us to put jealousy to death and begin to cultivate thankfulness and gratitude? And you would help us to even put others before ourselves, value them, value their interests above our own interests, above our own desires, write a thank you note, send a text. You would help us to become people of gratitude. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand and we're gonna sing this song that we introduced last week called Gratitude.